Hello and welcome to another installment of Behind the Fourth Wall, the podcast where we discuss and review pop culture news, movies, trailers, TV shows, <laughs> you name it. I'm joined today by my esteemed co-host from across the river and a little bit down south now at this point, <laughs> uh, Emmett. Welcome, Emmett. Thank you for welcoming me. I feel welcomed. Good. You should feel welcome. This is this is your home. This um, is an exciting one, man. We I know. A good one here. We're up to what is this episode four of episode WandaVision? Four? Yeah. I, I know, like, I know we do these every week, but I'm still kind of, um, I'm always excited to get to, to get to the point of talking about it, and in particular, this one I feel like shook things up quite a bit. Yeah, we've given ourselves a good amount of time to rewatch, maybe see a couple other opinions and articles and whatnot. So it, it's definitely a time to sink in now. And one thing I do want to talk about before we get into like the news or whatever is like, I'm seeing so many things on like social media and like news articles that are like, this episode was the best by far out of like, out of all four. And like, sure. Yes. It, it was very good because it's very modern Marvel, Marvel film style, but it's only good because the setup was in one, two, and three. Yeah, I feel like everybody's kind of jumping on this bandwagon of like, oh, the last couple of episodes have been such a downer or such a like disappointment. And I, you know what, like I can kind of see some of the, like people being a little bit off put by the first two episodes, especially since they released those in the in the first week, right? But like I'm still going back to my original point in that I feel like this is a show that you have to be patient with and that maybe would have been better serviced by just dumping all the episodes at once. Yeah, I was going to say, this definitely does feel like, at the very least, we need two episodes a week. And it seems like so far, it, it would... Like, episode one and two were very similar stylistically. And then episode three and four were kind of similar plot-wise. So I feel like it could have made sense just to stay on a release schedule of two a week if you weren't willing to do everything at once right well th this one kind of hit us a little bit and i feel like um the, well the way the way that i kind of interpreted was because you kind of get to peel back the curtain a little bit with this one maybe it just felt a little bit more homey for for people that are maybe like taken aback by the style of the last three yeah and i think that's also goes like feeds into people liking this episode so much more because it's back to being shot like a marvel movie that we're used to right all right but we'll, we'll get into that how about the anything in the news this week that um caught your eye um there's a couple things actually but i think the the big one for me was the godzilla versus king kong delay and i i, <laughs> I gave you yeah, quite you a bit of a scare scared this week. me man <laughs> <laughs> i was on twitter I, I i forget what day this was because like everything just kind of blends in now but um i saw i want to say it was collider put out a tweet saying godzilla has been pushed back to may 31st and so i didn't like <laughs> click on the actual article that they put in i just like took it at face value of course right um and then i guess it was corrected but because everybody was calling them out on it so Godzilla vs. Kong, I think, was shifted two weeks down. It was March 16th, I believe, was the original um, release date. But now it's it's pushed back to the end of March. So not that much of a of a jump. But I, I you know, I think I think we both are probably of the same mindset here, just looking at our notes section. But 
it's probably to not take away too much attention from the Snyder Cut, which is also coming out around that similar mid-March time frame. I thought it was March 31st anyway, so it's not really like that big of a deal for my mental game because <laughs> I was already expecting <laughs> end of March. But yeah, it, I don't know why we're still worshiping this Snyder Cut. Like if given the choice, I'm pretty sure every fan would pick Godzilla King Kong over a Snyder Cut of Batman vs. Superman. Um, <laughs> so it's a little annoying that they're pushing it. I, I understand their point of view of not wanting two brand new blockbusters releases coming out the same weekend. So at least spacing it by two weeks. But I don't know. From like my time freelance, because I feel like I've, if, if I freelance for anything significant, it's probably been Warner Brothers for the most significant uh, projects that I've been a part of on, on my side gigs. But from what I've heard, there's there's a lot of like like there's like a, a division over at Warner Brothers over how to treat the Snyder Cut because like it seems like at least anybody from Warner Brothers proper doesn't seem to like uh, Zack Snyder stuff and kind of blames it for the collapse of the DC universe. Um, and then there's another camp there that uh, primarily the HBO Max folks that uh, do feel like it has a big impact only because of like the, the trend setting numbers. And I got to give them to that in terms of that. Like if you look at any discussion over the Snyder cut or if you look at any trends on social media, like for example, this week, the biggest trend on Friday was WandaVision naturally, right? Because like, everybody's talking about it, the episodes out. Um, but it has like this companion content to, to kind of justify why people are talking about it. And Zack Snyder released like three posters for his Justice League cut, and it was trending about number two, from number two to number five, pretty much all day Friday, um, which is pretty impressive when you think about it. Like we're not talking about a trailer, we're not talking about anything else. It's literally just posters, and it was trending for a bulk of the day. I feel like it has a significant audience, and so maybe that's what they're trying to. That they hope that that's what's going to bring in some of the numbers. I honestly, man, I think that part of the reason why. It this even came back into the the discussion is because HBO put out HBO Max realized it didn't hit their numbers um, the way that they wanted to in terms of, in terms of subscription counts. I think they hit like not even a third of what Disney Plus did on their first month, um, and so I feel like they scrambled. And because we were in the midst of COVID, they're like, all right, well, what can we do? that we can release and get people hyped for that's not going to take up all that much money. Because um, I heard something like they gave Zack Snyder like $11 million to finish the movie, which is a lot of a lot of money, right? But like when you think about it, like at the time, nobody was shooting anything. And to give this guy $11 million to potentially give you a plethora of subscribers, uh, you know, the investment seems sound. I feel like they did it on that respect rather than actually trying to appease the Zack Snyder fans. I feel like that wasn't at all the intent behind uh, the move. Um, just because, like, it seems like if they were trying to save it, we wouldn't be getting all these one-off films, like like the the Batman movie that's currently in the works, or... Um, and, and I feel like like Aquaman and, and the new Wonder Woman kind of do away with a lot of the Zack Snyder established lore, right? Like, they kind of don't necessarily align with it, so... Is is it justified now to go back and redo movies? Pay him more to try again. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I here's the thing with the second. He didn't get to finish it. Yeah. No, and like from my understanding of it, 
they really only used about half of the footage that he shot, and then Z- uh, Joss Whedon came in and reshot it. So the failure of that movie, I feel like, rests on Joss Whedon's shoulder rather than Zack Snyder's. Um, and I say that because, like, just knowing the behind-the-scenes stuff that happens from a day-to-day from a movie standpoint, if they switch up a director half, like, not halfway, but like once you're done shooting and then you go back and reshoot it, is it really your movie? It's the same thing of, of Gareth Edwards with Rogue One, and I don't know if you know this, but like they they brought in um they they brought in Henry Gilroy to redo some of the script and like basically from my understanding of that situation, Rogue One was shot like a Band of Brothers kind of movie where it was a bit dark, and then Disney was like, no, this is too much, go back and change it. <laughs> And so they hired a new director to go back in and reshoot a lot of Rogue One. So if you look at the first like three trailers for Rogue One, and then you look at the last one, there's so many changes and so many so many shots that ultimately never make it to the cut. Hmm. And that's how K2 SO was born. <laughs> <laughs> that, that makes sense now. Yeah, no, I I agree that like even if it was only changing something as small as like one or two scenes between a, a, the second director from the first, that entirely changes certain, like a, a movie's tone or or how it's perceived. So yeah, it's not Zack Snyder's movie at all that was originally released. So I understand the wanting to come back and and show us what you would have done the first time, but it's also like you to your point. Yeah, we've moved on with. Aquaman and Wonder Woman and Justice League, like we're, we, it's a different series now. So this isn't going to change anything. It's not going to be like, oh man, well, let's start over again with the with that as the foundation. Yeah, and I also got I got to give it like if if I was Zack Snyder, I'd feel really happy right now to know that there's actually significant support on the fans' end. Um, <laughs> because to your point, originally I. I'm also getting kind of tired of seeing the like onslaught of like this. I think there's a bit too much hype for it. Like I'm going to see it anyway, because I'm I'm curious as to how he ultimately wanted to end this whole segment of the DC universe. Right. But uh, the, the, his uh, his supporters are a little vicious sometimes. Yeah, it's a it's a passionate crowd. But this is turning into a, um, a yeah. Jack Snyder podcast. Let's move on. <laughs> what else do we got in the news? <laughs> Um, I was going to bring up some more confirmations for Spider-Man, but I feel like that's the same thing every week. Um, I think it's pretty much everyone and their mom is in this movie, so <laughs> we'll just wait until the final thing to see who's in there. Well, we got confirmation of Doc Ock. We we know Charlie Cox filmed something, so everybody's just assuming it's Daredevil, right? I, I like Nothing else makes sense to me. This Miles Morales one is a little new. Like What, um, what did you see of that? Yeah, I saw someone post like the car that Donald Glover was driving was seen on set. Donald Glover playing uh, Miles Morales' uncle in what was it? Homecoming. Homecoming. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's assumed that Miles is going to be in this one as well. Then I don't know if they're ne- like, are we ready for for Miles Morales? Because I and I say that only because like I feel like I would like to have a whole movie dedicated to his setup, but I I, I don't mind at this point. Like I I feel like Marvel hasn't done me wrong <laughs> yet. Well, so yeah, here's the what I see for this movie is like I don't know what it does for Tom Holland, but I see this as like paying tribute and uh, homage to the 
original Spider-Mans, you know, Toby and Andrew Garfield. But then I could see this also serving sort of like a Civil War, um, Captain America Civil War, where that was Spider-Man's debut for Tom Holland. So I could see right. that being like, give us a tease of Miles Morales. Like he didn't get a major part in that movie before Tom Holland didn't. So give him like a little one in this one, see how it tests with the audience and then give him his own standalone movie. But I don't know what that does for Tom Holland. Does this close out his trilogy? Does he continue? I, I like him as Spider-Man. Yeah. From some of the stuff that I've heard, this isn't nowhere near the end for Tom Holland. I've, I've, I've heard that their intention is to do like do as many movies as they can with him. But with that said, Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, Spider-Man showing up, clearly there's alternate universes at play here. I wonder then if true, almost true to the comics, um, because like in main, in the, in the mainline comics, Miles Morales didn't debut there. He actually debuted in a line called ultimate Marvel, Marvel ultimate comics where he, he debuted as the ultimate Spider-Man and not like the amazing Spider-Man title from the mainstream line. But basically my point is Miles Morales came from an alternate dimension and, and, in comic lore, so I wonder if they're gonna do the same thing here. Like, does he come maybe from Tobey Maguire's universe or Andrew Garfield's universe? Like, I, I wonder if they'll play that um, that side of the origin story up. It, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah. Sure. All right. So, <laughs> should, should we get into the meat of this episode? Yeah. Can we come? Can we talk about what we came here to talk about? Yeah. <laughs> With all that behind us, let's get into. Uh, I think we kind of gave the spoiler free take. Basically, what it's the same as always, you know. If you haven't really gotten into it, I probably just wait to binge it. But um, th- this is definitely where the series is like taking a turn, and it's gonna like really pick up pace. Yeah. So if you want no spoilers, get out now, <laughs> <laughs> or just pause this. But make sure you hit the hit the, hit the download button, uh, and then come back to it later. So there you go. <laughs> And maybe you know, throw a you know a review in the store in the Apple Store. Yeah, or or if you hate us, call us out on Twitter and give us some clout. <laughs> we'll start a war. I'm down for it. Just like. <laughs> All right, let's get into uh, characters. So this this one starts off with um, Monica Rambo, who is what's her mom's name? Maria Rambo, right? Maria Rambo, yeah. Photon Rambo. <laughs> she uh so monica is you're gonna have to correct me here because i don't know why i think it's the same actress from <laughs> captain marvel mathematically it can't be but she nails the mannerisms of what the kid actress was doing in captain marvel right yeah yeah she she is she's a new actress <laughs> to the role <laughs> like that when was that movie like two years ago and she was like 10 so she can't be 30 right? <laughs> we're actually not in the in the marvel proper timeline <laughs> I bet that's not how movies work <laughs> is that not i feel like i live in the marvel timeline but so, she like she, she acts does. exactly like her she throws the voice kind of like as if that girl grew up she does I, she was perfectly cast and to be totally honest so not to kind of jump ahead a little bit, but like Monica Rambeau in the comics was the photon character. But before that, I think she was the second person to hold a Captain Marvel. Uh, right. Monitor. That's my thought. Yeah. And I kind of, you know, I honestly, man, like if, if we had a solo movie of her version of Captain Marvel, 
I think it would have been such a great thing to see. Um, just because the actress, again, and here's like, we'll get into this much later, but I feel like we got a chance to really delve into her character this episode. Um, and her performance was, was, was really good. And it's, it comes up to this point. I was, I was talking about this with a friend, but like, you know how sometimes you have like, uh, a really good television performance and they have a really good, um, cinematic performance and there's something about it that you can kind of tell the difference between the cinematic performance and something really good. That's, but that was made for TV. Um, I kind of got that vibe off of this episode where like you saw certain actors delivering and you know their a game here and and hers was definitely one of them yeah I, I would agree with that for sure um but so she wakes up in the like or not wakes up she comes back from the end game second snap where tony stark brings everyone back in the hospital expecting to be next to her mother and then everyone's coming back in the hospital i kind of i really like these moments like seeing them in movies and and shows but also just like thinking about this, like I know you and I like came up with a bunch of scenarios <laughs> of like where would I, where would you be when you came back? Like were you the guy who was on vacation with his family and then like has to come back and you're now in <laughs> France and like five years later? Like, uh, so I like seeing this get played out. Um, like the panic that everyone had of like oh my god everyone's coming back at one time. Um, Whereas like we saw that from Tony Stark's perspective where everyone came back, but it was like, or actually Hulk snapped everyone back, not Tony, but yeah. Um, like they, it was a very calm moment for them because they were in a place where no one was snapped away. So it wasn't like there was chaos or anything like that. Right. It was great to see the human perspective of this like huge event, which I, what did they call it in homecoming? The, the blip, right? Blip. Yeah, <laughs> I love that name. Um, it, it was great to get to see it because um, you and I think the closest we got to witnessing something like this was Spider-Man 2 when you had the, the little opening montage where all the high school students started coming back. Yeah, but it reinforces the theory that you and I were saying, which was like, it seems like you come back to this exact same spot where you snapped out. So what's happening to the folks that were on an airplane? <laughs> That's the one we always like, came back to is like, what happens when you were somewhere that you can like cannot come back to? Yeah. Or you were on a boat just like chilling, enjoying your time. <laughs> and then now, like, obviously the boat's not there anymore. So, like, where do you get snapped to? We need one of those answered. But it was such a such a like human scene, right? Like that maybe that sounds a little cheesy, but like it, this whole sequence was really, really cool because like you got to see the panic that was on everybody's face. You got to see the chaos and you were kind of in the middle of it all. And you're going through it with this character that obviously ends up finding out some breaking um some like really hard news and it's 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 like one of the most interesting sequences we've seen out of any mcu movie yeah i like it because like you said it is human it's not the superheroes who are in on the plan and know what to expect it's people who are just like their lives are constantly just getting thrown around because of the action of the avengers and the like other superheroes and it gets you hooked on monica's character right off the bat because to you know to kind of complete the point right like we you go through this whole sequence and she's like trying to find her what her mother is because apparently the when she was snapped away her mom was being prepped for uh, well i think she was past surgery i guess at this point if i recall the dialogue correctly but it sounds like they were on the in, in the clear when it came to her mother's cancer diagnosis 
Yeah, so the moment she left was her mom had beaten cancer. And then two years after she was snapped away, her mom passed. Like, it came back and her mom passed away. Yeah, within that five-year time that... Um, so then three more out. years go by. And now she now Monica wakes up in the hospital where she's expecting to see her healthy mother. Finds out now that along with everyone coming back, she's been gone for five years. And her mom died three years ago on that timeline yeah that which would hard. be a crazy thing to come back to <laughs> yeah yeah it's a crazy moment and it kind of endears you to her character so like using that right off the bat like you care about this character now like you and and there's a connection to um captain marvel because like as she's blipping back you hear the conversation that she has as a little girl with with carol back in uh, what was it the mid 90s i guess right yeah yeah i think it no early neighbors was there's um, that line where she calls her lieutenant trouble that's the line that's yeah. playing as she's blipping back into grunge was really big so i guess it was 90s yeah <laughs> yeah this also gives us a like what this does is it gives us what timeline wandavision is supposed to be happening in as well so she like monica immediately goes back to work after coming back so she so then this means that it's like it's on the current timeline of i guess 2023 home yeah yeah i wonder if this is that calendar that calendar theory was correct then right i think so yeah i I think we're spot on with that one (laughs) but then you you got the other one right too with um sword not being in the loop of this i guess we'll call it like the bubble or whatever you want to call it like um, they're just monitoring it be after the fact that it's like started. They have nothing to do with the creation of it. Yeah, as far as we know so far, right? Like I always, I feel like this show setting us up for a couple of plot twists. So I wonder if like Sword has really been behind it all, but it like seemingly it doesn't seem to be the case. It seems to be like they genuinely have no idea what happened here. Um, the setup of this whole thing was really interesting, right? Because Monica comes back. Obviously, she's grounded. She's not able to go into space just to kind of get her reacquainted after coming back. And so she's assigned this missing persons case that the FBI needs needs help with, and it ends up being. Miss Agent Jimmy Woo from uh, Ant-Man 2, which was great to see him again. Uh, I always like Randall Park's performance and everything he's in. I feel like he's a good comedic actor. Yeah, and we had seen him in the trailer too, so we knew to expect him at some point. And then we were guessing that it was his voice on the radio because it kind of sounded like him from right. what was that, the second episode. Yep. Um, so yeah, it's it's good to see that plot starting to get mixed in. And then he also does his little magic trick that he picked up from Ant-Man. <laughs> yeah, I, I love... This is the thing that makes me love the Marvel Universe so much is the fact that they're able to call out these little tiny little things. And, and they might seem a little stupid to people, right? But it's so cool because it acknowledges the fact that they're paying attention to the larger universe at work here. So they're trying to tie things in, even if it's a little like dumb little call out. But they really treat this like if like if they were writing traditional comic books and you, you're crossing over characters, you still carry over that continuity. <laughs> so, yeah. It, and then also that like when Scott does it, uh, Paul Rudd's character, people are like amazed and, and pay attention and yeah. like, comment on it. But when he does it, like 
Monica just took the business card like she didn't <laughs> care. So like he's been practicing for like this attention and then doesn't receive it. So I feel like it's so in line with his character. So did did you catch? So I didn't catch this until second viewing, but apparently he was a former sword agent as well. No, I didn't catch that. There's a there's a quick two lines between the um the, the between Monica and the director of um or the acting director of, of Sword, which I guess we should probably talk about him a little bit real quick before we dive through the point, right? But Maria Rambo, Monica's mom, seems to be the person to that founded Sword. So I guess inherently it was kind of like assumed that Monica would take over that director's position, but since she was gone for five years. Um, her friend, and I'm forgetting his name <laughs> right as I'm starting to to recall this whole thing. But like, um, basically, it, it, you know, she was probably the most qualified person to be the acting director. But because she was gone, it was it's somebody else right now. You're talking about the acting director? Yeah. Um, Tyler Hayward is his real name. I well, forget what his. Is that the actor's name? Yeah, I forget what his real name is. Like... Oh wait, no, that's not. <laughs> that that is his character name, right? I don't know. This is a tough search because yeah. it's just gonna give me the. <laughs> he is apparently he is. Yeah, have we seen him before, or that's just like an introduction? It's an introduction, but suppose what I've seen from people is a, like they're saying that he actually played a villain in the Agents of Shield show. I don't know though. Like honestly, I I saw a I I only saw a couple episodes of that show, so I can't really speak to that. Um interesting to to, me, to maybe come back to on another episode because i'll definitely do some digging now that i know he was in agents of shield yeah that show seems to be cropping up a lot in this show so it might be worth watching it it just it never really caught my fancy <laughs> uh, it's a little bit of a chore to get through honestly if i'm being that's the problem when you have so many um branches coming off of the yeah. MCU, some of it feels like homework you have to do. Some of it feels like homework you want to do. And then some of it's just like a treat. I saw all of season one. I thought I didn't really enjoy it all that much. But then like I didn't see anything until the Ghost Rider season came out because I wanted to see Ghost Rider. So that part of the season was really good. But then after that, it just kind of fell. So anyway, whatever. <laughs> So, yeah, we leave off with Monica going to the FBI agent outside of Westview. So we got our turnpike scene. I'm happy. <laughs> Jersey gets his, Jersey gets the turnpike reference. <laughs> Exit two. <laughs> so, yeah, they send a drone in and then it disappears, which then we later find out is the helicopter that was the end of episode two. Or no, yeah. the middle of episode two. The ending was the beekeeper. Yeah, I think it was even maybe towards the the middle or beginning of it. It explains the red coloring to it because she's the one that helped her pick out the colors, right? That I don't know if it does explain. I don't know what explains it. No, because there's the whole scene where she's like, "Hey, choose the color of my suit for me," and they have this little sequence where she goes. From yeah, like, but then uh, then Brie Larson picks the red and blue because she says, "Hey, just make it match your shirt." Oh uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right, I take it back. I don't know what I'm talking about here. <laughs> Monica picked nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Um, but I like that we're like this episode's paying off on all those little like what the heck is going on it, moments in episodes one through three. So seeing the the sword logo on the helicopter, seeing the beekeeper, it's all these like 
modern, I guess, items or outfits or whatever entering into this bubble and then becoming part of the era that's currently going on for the sitcom. Yeah, that's a good point. So it just kind of matches the aesthetic of, of whatever world she's trying to replicate at the moment. Because it's like we did see um, we see Monica go through the the town line and she gets almost like violently sucked into it. Right. And then when she comes back out, she's not wearing her sword uniform. She's wearing her like 70s outfit. Right. So modern items going in, getting converted and then coming back out as that converted look aesthetic to it. Yeah. So we see that with the cable wire that the I keep calling him the beekeeper, but I think his name was like Franklin or something like that. <laughs> uh, Agent Franklin from Sword. So he like that cord came back out as like a jump rope from the fifties. Yeah. That I wonder then if you toss an Xbox through it, does it come back as like an Atari? Like how does that well, that'd be cool? <laughs> <laughs> Probably like a, a hoop. Right. <laughs> with a little stick. <laughs> Tossing your PS5, you get a PS1 back. <laughs> that would be cool, actually. Yeah, she goes in. Um, then Agent Wu calls in the reinforcements and gets all of S.W.O.R.D. involved. They set up the camp, which we saw at the end of Episode 3. And then that introduces Darcy into the plot, along with a few other scientists that we don't get any more screen time with. <laughs> yeah. And I had forgotten all about Darcy, to be totally honest with you. I I, I forgot she was a character in Thor 2, but I, I, I thought she was I, only in Thor 1. Yeah, I heard a rumor that she was in, like, seen on this show, but I had no idea how they would tie her in, because when we see her in both of the early Thors, Thor 1 and 2, she's kind of like a idiot. <laughs> like, she's, she's a comic not, relief. Yeah, she's a comic release. She it's not she's not like a, in the study of field of astrophysics. So Natalie Portman and I forget his real name, but um Eric something I think. Eric Selvig is the character's Selvig, name. Yeah. Those two are the astrophysics. So you're like, wait, is she here? Like, did she become smart off of just like association oh, with them? Damn. But she she was an intern been, though. Yeah, she was an intern with them, but she wasn't studying uh, astronomy then. I, I forget what field she said she was studying then, but I mean, it makes sense because then she introduced herself as doctor to one of the other agents from right. S.W.O.R.D. And I mean, you can assume then that she didn't blip away and she spent five years studying. Yeah, she she definitely she, she was one of my favorite parts of thor one though to be totally honest with you i like I, I thought her as a comic relief served really well and i like to see i like seeing her come back um, man there's so the many show. good points in thor one to pick from though <laughs> <laughs> i did like thor one to a certain extent um better than thor two for sure i just you know they really could have done a lot with some of those characters but anyway that topic for another day right <laughs> yeah um it was great to see her be set up with 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 Jimmy though, because like those are two characters that I think are very similar in terms of like the purpose they served when they were supporting characters in their respective movies. Um, but to see them play a more heavy role here, I thought they they did well to kind of play off of each other. Yeah, I I really like that as well. Um, it's nice to see like keeping it within the family type of a feel, 
with Marvel um, and not having to entirely introduce new characters when you have perfectly viable and liked characters from other movies. Um, so she almost immediately makes a discovery that the town is emitting, what did she call it? Like CMBR radiation? Cosmic yeah. Something. So it was described as um, this like big radiation that's similar to what theoretically you would have seen during the Big Bang. Mm-hmm. Which is an interesting point because it, the explanation for the Infinity Stones by by Wong in uh, in Doctor Strange, he mentions that you know at the at the onset of time after the Big Bang. Or as a result of the Big Bang, these six Infinity Stones were created. So, a reference to the fact that Wanda got her powers from one of these stones. That's, I think that's exactly it. And then, obviously, points later in the show kind of confirm it. So, yeah, it is interesting to make that little reference there. And then also, she noticed there was like other wavelengths embedded within that radiation. And then that's how she discovered the sitcom. So the sitcom's happening outside of the world. It's not just like entertainment purposes inside the world. Right. It's like it's purposefully emitting all these <laughs> transmittable waves of um, <laughs> Wanda's life, I guess, playing out. Did you notice that she changed TVs every time she was looking at a different episode? I, it, it took, um, I think there was like an article I read that mentioned this, but I went back and took a look at it in the right. I didn't notice the which episode it was playing on the TVs, but I didn't notice she had like six different TVs. Yeah. So I was wondering why, and I'm, I still don't understand it. Can she view an entire episode on one TV or is it like she can only get scenes on from like certain scenes on one? Or I, I didn't really understand that portion of it. Like broadcast signals changed over years, but I, I didn't really make all that much sense to me either. Honestly. Um, I just think it's like a little wink and a nod to the fact that she's switching to whatever corresponding style of television that decade would have had. <laughs> so like you had a very 50s boxy TV for the first one, and then it's kind of evolving into the in-color TVs. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know if it means anything else other than like the fact that they're just like trying to even further the point that oh, we're actually working on this decade right now. Yeah, I think that was it. I think it's just like we're keeping up with her time with Wanda's timeline, right? On the outside, that the, in the same way that Wanda's creating it on the inside. But that kind of gets us into like the sitcom slash like town aspect of what's going on of Westview. So their their main purpose or or mission, I guess, that uh, Darcy and Wu have is to identify the missing people because that's how it started as. Um, that's like what the case started as a missing persons case. So they're identifying different people from the town, but then also like writing down things that they know or understand and then making a list of things that they don't understand. Uh, so one of the things they understood was five mile radius. And then it was, he wrote hexagonal shape and then put it like a question mark as to like, why is this? Um, and did you have any ideas on that? hexagons have always been associated with her like powers like every time she has like the like i said what they all in the comics they call it the hex powers so every time Mm -hmm. she emits like a red energy similar to dr strange you know how that circular thing pops up from his hands for her it's like this hex hexagon looking thing 
Okay. So that's the only thing that I could kind of call out and say, like, that might be it. I saw other people with theories of, like, hex, hex, um, hexagon... I'm, like, butchering this right now. <laughs> hexagonal <laughs> shape. It's a tough yeah. word. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the morning. I can't... <laughs> I haven't even had coffee today yet. <laughs> um, no, supposedly um, hexagonal shapes are, like, some they represent power or something in different cultures. I don't know if that, I feel like that's maybe reading a little bit too much into it, but I mean, we can go as far as we want. It's, this, it's the shape of a stop sign as in Wanda needs to stop. It's uh, <laughs> um, very loosely based is it's six sided shape, which six is the number of the devil, which is Mephisto. Like, let's just throw out every possible thing so that we could potentially be right on one of them. <laughs> But this confirms that the devil really is in the details on this show. <laughs> Ooh, there it is. The commercials being used. So when when we were watching the episodes, and it, we got, I guess it's a really big meta moment to realize that they're watching, they're literally watching a soap opera uh, play, uh, not a soap opera, a sitcom, um, as it plays out to them. They're including the the commercials that we as the audience saw in episode one and two. Right. So a major thing that Darcy says is that. And it took her a couple th- times of the editing to notice it, but she says like it's being um, censored by somebody or someone, because she notices like certain moments that we got to see get like rewind or just get like cut and then started over again. Right on the outside, it looks like it's you don't get to see the rewind; you just get to see the cut from to yeah. almost make it smooth, but there's still a very clear cut. So what the I guess the person whoever's censoring it, Wanda or who uh, or otherwise is using commercials that we've seen like the Strucker Watch or the Hydra Soak, um, or ending episodes to like justify g- cutting to black. So it's like very hard to notice if you weren't like in on you know these attempts to communicate to Wanda or whatever caused the rewind. Right. That that was an interesting kind of tidbit then because there that means that then the characters in universe are experiencing those commercials but they're experiencing at a different time than than we as the audience would would have been right and i don't even know if they're experiencing the commercials like that has yet to be answered it's hard to tell like that might purely just be for the viewer and we were a viewer in the first three episodes and now we're a viewer who's watching another viewer maybe if that makes any sense yeah it, again this is one of those things that's probably going to make more sense as we go through the series but just sticking on to the commercials for a second um i think it's also like really important that we look back a little bit and like you know comment on things that we missed or maybe have like more understanding now um one of those being hydra soak which i guess we would have known this if we watched the show <laughs> Uh, like apparently this is a reference to an episode or a plot line within uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the TV show, which we were referencing earlier, uh, where Hydra put like chemicals into S.H.I.E.L.D. soap and kind of gave them this like um, false reality and the chemicals like encouraged them to believe in different memories. So it's very fitting for what's going on in Westview where it's an alternate reality, which obviously is very on the nose but we just didn't know because we don't watch agents of shield so uh if you knew that kudos on you but uh 
If you didn't, now you know. <laughs> if you know that, how many seasons did you put up with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and when did you quit? <laughs> We're hating on a show we haven't even tried, really. Or I, I guess you I haven't. tried it. I tried it. <laughs> I gave it a shot. Um... It has its fans, though. I, I'll, I'll give it that. I'm just a little surprised that we're getting so many Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.s reference when we haven't really had an attempt to, to connect the show to to the MCU proper in a long time. Yeah, but in a way, it almost is like Mandalorian doing Clone Wars references. No. no it kind of no. is. I think, it, I think you're saying no because you enjoyed the Clone Wars series. But there's a lot of people that didn't watch it or didn't even really know about that series until Mandalorian started putting references in it. So I think it's a very clever idea. Is like, if you're liking WandaVision and you want to understand more references, go watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which has been out. Same idea with like Mandalorian being like, oh, if you're liking these characters, why don't you go watch a show that's been out for a while? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I say no only because of a couple of things. Like, they, they made a concerted effort in the first two seasons to try and connect it to the events in the MCU movies. But they just kind of dropped it. And it never, like, it became this thing of, like, you just never mention what's going on in, in the movies unless you do, like, a quick, um, a quick one-liner. Um, but I, I feel like it's just Clone Wars with Mandalorian is different because it's almost like Clone Wars sets up a lot of things within the established universe. And Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I don't think they ever used it to really set up anything that shakes the foundation of anything <laughs> in, the, in the rest of the MCU. Right. I'm not saying it's a one-to-one exactly the same scenario, but I am saying that it's like... Um, yeah, I get what you mean. It's like you're you're trying to promote it to 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 get more eyes on it, and maybe it's like a test to see like do people that are enough people enjoying the show that we can maybe do something with that cast of characters in in the future of the uh, MCU. Yeah, I think that's it. There, th- this is like um. <laughs> The, 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 these commercials I thought were, were really funny and uh, one-offs, but like to get to dive a little bit deeper into them is is fun to kind of see where they're coming up with the concepts for it or like how they're trying to use them, using them to kind of weave it into the overall um, universe. Because like if they are tying in Agents of Shield, I feel like we're weaving more stuff into this this web of what we've what we've come to know as the MCU, right? So now we're really trying to acknowledge the full scope of this universe. Yeah, and I think that's I think that is what they're doing. It's such a big picture thing, but it also is like I don't know, it's it's more of just a foreshadowing moment and right. less of a like if you missed it, you'll never understand the plot type of thing. Right. So same idea with like Strucker or the Stark commercial. I don't know if there's more importance other than those were important people in her past, but you know, it, there's there might be something more to that. And we'll probably get to see that later on or someone else will crack the code. But it's not like it's it's holding us back from understanding the plot. Do you got that missing persons or like basically like the highlight board that Jimmy has on, on the show that's kind of highlighting everybody in in town? Yeah, so Darcy kind of leads the charge of identifying some of the missing people from the town. So she, you know, lists out Mr. and Mrs. Hart, Norm the neighbor. Uh, Harold Copter, who's the mustache man who didn't want to comment on his wife's earrings. 
Uh, you get Herb, who doesn't know how to trim hedges properly. Uh, and then Beverly, who was the back half of the horse in the talent show. <laughs> but you, but none, you... of the names, none of the names that they give for those really have any comic significance, I believe. I think they're, no. I think they're really just Westview citizens who were like trapped into this um, simulation or sitcom or whatever it is you want to call it. Yeah, and that that confirms our theory that like whatever's happening, whether it's Wanda, whether it's Mephisto, whether it's somebody else, right? This town of people is being held hostage basically in this reality. But it was interesting to see the board be put up because with every little like file that they put up for each each uh, individual citizen that's identified on screen, um, you get a picture of their either their driver's license or some sort of identifi- identification for them mm-hmm. for everybody minus Agnes. Well, they haven't done everybody yet, but yeah, Agnes is definitely a noticeable um, absent one. But like they did a helicopter, but they didn't do his wife Dottie. May I wonder if that's like a little uh, trail of breadcrumbs for us to follow for for later episodes. Identifying certain neighbors. Yeah, like why? Maybe there is a reason why Dottie and Agnes. Well, Agnes, we kind of already suspect, right? But like. Maybe Dottie or some of these other neighbors that don't get properly identified. Like maybe there's more to it. Because the way that I took it was like if you have if they had an ID for you, then you were really in this town and this was your town. But if they don't, then you might have been either visiting or basically you weren't really supposed to be there, kind of thing. Or they're just still working through it. But it it is interesting that like someone as significant as like Dottie, who had many solo scenes or like just one-on-one scenes with Wanda didn't get a identification. So I don't want to put it entirely on that. Agnes is the only one who didn't cause she's not, but Dottie's there is a, there is like a, there is a little bit of a list of people that we've interacted with that haven't been identified. What did you think about the, um, the attempt to like communicate into the, like into the radio from the outside? I think it's a pretty clever plot of them to try and like break Wanda out of this thing because clearly they have no idea what's going on. They don't know. They're just as confused as we are, <laughs> which was really yeah. cool to kind of see them. It reminded me of the meme of the guy that has all these things kind of tied up and like trying to wrap his head around the conspiracy theory. Um, <laughs> that's what this episode reminded me of and having that whole board up. Um, I thought that their attempts to reach Wanda were interesting in particular because they automatically assumed, and I guess rightfully so, right? Because she's an Avenger, that she's being held against her will or she's trapped here. Somebody's doing something to her. And they just have no idea what's going on, but they know that it can't possibly be her doing this. Um, And as we kind of established at the end of episode three, and being able to see this that sequence of events of what happens after, like once Geraldine was pushed out of this world, um, it's interesting to kind of start to line up. At least the narrative sets up like you questioning whether Wanda's actually maybe pulling the strings here. So I wonder how that dynamic will change in the next episode. Like now that um, Geraldine slash Monica is out of the of the town like how does that how is that going to change things for for them in terms of like what intel is she going to be able to provide uh that maybe changes the course of how they tackle the situation 
Right. Yeah. They're kind of in the same position as us as like still learning. So you're right. Like just like looking at the situation and seeing that Wanda's in there and that vision's in there, they assume the Avengers good guys are not behind it. Um, right. So they're learning more as we learn more. The thing I liked about the radio bit though, was like, it's an intelligent solution to seeing drones, not make it, it not make it out or be able to transmit anything back. The only thing I don't get is like, they didn't send one drone in there. They sent like a dozen at least that we saw. <laughs> like right. when Darcy first pulls up, you see two or three drones go in right at that moment. And then she watches another one go in. So it's like, they've been constantly sending it in. They sent a person in underground. Like when is that guy going to get kicked out? We didn't see him leave. We right. just know that like in the episode that it was rewound. So I want to understand, like, what's the delay? Because the drone that was sent in, the the initial one by um, Monica, it, it must have taken a while to get in there, right? Because then also Monica took a an episode until she appeared. Yeah, so that leads me to the thought that, you know, I, I think there's more to it than just Wanda being in control. Like, I don't think she is the one calling the shots because from the audience point of view... You don't even see Wanda pulling in, you know, Monica. And and she doesn't acknowledge the fact that she is somebody new either. Right? Like, like Wanda is just as astonished to see, not astonished, I guess, but like nonchalant, right? Like she doesn't really pay mind to, to Geraldine in the world. Um, And I think that if she was controlling everything, that she, she would have known who this person was and that she changed her her reality to fit hers. So... It was just interesting to kind of see that kind of lay the groundwork as to both she's maybe in control of some things, but isn't maybe fully aware of what's going on. Yeah, there was a great line by Darcy that was like when they were trying the radio bit, she was like, um, wait, Juan just talking to Monica. And then Wu was like, well, what's she saying? And she's like, oh, well, she's got a speaking part now. I think there are like so many people in the town that don't like haven't been fully integrated or don't have a plot yet right like if you go back and watch i don't know if we talked about this at last episode or not but if you go back and watch the garden party um where wanda meets geraldine slash monica monica doesn't know who she is until she like shakes wanda's hand so like she hadn't been fully fleshed out as a character until then right Right. She she hasn't like it's almost like an upgrade kind of thing where like slowly but surely kind of getting her <laughs> part gets bigger. Yeah. Right. But it, like it's it's clearly not under her control because she otherwise it, this wouldn't have come as any kind of surprise for her. And Geraldine herself would, I think, have been more settled into the world if it was actually Wanda trying to manipulate everything. Yeah. But then Wanda goes kind of haywire and kicks monica out uh (laughs) like clearly indicating that wanda doesn't want any like outside threats or viruses or whatever you want to call them right inside her little ecosystem so she's definitely behind it but the only reason i won't commit to saying that like so like Monica gets kicked out, and then the first thing she says is, it's Wanda. It's all Wanda. Which I think is supposed to be a red herring, right? Like, it's supposed to make the 
outside audience, not like us watching, believe that they're only going to pursue Wanda and become blind to on any other possible threats. Yeah, I feel like they're they're trying to throw us off of the scent that it might be somebody else, um, and just say that you know it might be it might actually be Wanda. I feel like Wanda has maybe been responsible for the events that, um, are the events where you're she's trying to keep people in this reality and not you know have them acknowledge any like real world events. So in this case, she, clearly she was in control of kicking Geraldine out of town, right? Li- literally kicking her out of town. <laughs> um, but she was like, she also was. I and this is me speculating here, but I think she was behind Mr. Hart having a issue at dinner where he's choking. I feel like he, he was also responsible for uh, some of the other events that have happened. I'm trying to remember, like the oh Dottie, right? Dottie cutting herself. I feel like she was responsible for that. I think she's trying to make sure that this reality stays intact. I'm just not sure that her efforts are necessarily focused on um, keeping the overall uh, bubble secure. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's more about keeping the town on script. And I think she knows there's like, because if we fall off script, everything is gone. Everything is done. Or it might be even worse than just like the illusion breaking. Anybody who's read up on comics, I feel like this is kind of like a Game of Thrones moment for for them. Because like if you've read up on House of M, if you know what um, Wanda's stories are in the comics, you kind of know what the, where this is heading. <laughs> and you're almost kind of like at the edge of your seat of being like, are they going to go through with it? Are they not? It, it just seems like this is one of those kind of moments in, in the MCU. Mainly because, like, from a character standpoint in the in the comics, Wanda has been a villain. She's been an anti-hero. She's been a straight-up hero, and that kind of goes back and forth, right? Like, but the MCU has been very formulaic that I kind of don't see them shifting Wanda to be this big bad, right? Um, I don't think so. Yeah, but I think that you know they're clearly setting us up to maybe think that that's what the, that's the direction that they're trying to head in for this. Um, but at the core of Wanda's character in any incarnation of her is the sense of tragedy. And so I feel like this is all kind of playing that up. And if the show goes the way that me and like anybody else, like I said, anybody who's read House of M who's kind of gone through this thinks it's going to go, we're, <laughs> it, this is like such a twisted way to to, to present things because I'm sure there's a lot of audience members that are like, this is this is Wanda. This, this clearly it is Wanda, right? She's in control. She's doing all this. Um, and I just think that we're heading into a what might be like the biggest delivery of of a plot buildup uh, in the MCU in, in a long time. Yeah, I don't know if you have to be fully read up to know that it's not Wanda. And I think the biggest takeaway is like the red herring of Monica saying it's all Wanda. Like, you can't be that absolute certain at this point. But then on the flip side as well, it's when dead vision comes into the room, you know, she wouldn't, like, uh, Wanda wouldn't have, like, forced that projection on. Like, she didn't want to see that. That was the, like, this is what happens if you go off script type of, I'm going to take away the carrot and give you the stick type of punishment here. Um, And then vision says we don't have to stay here we can leave 
that's definitely not on script. And then Wanda says, no, we can't. This is our home. So, like, right. she's clearly being forced to stay in here and to keep everyone on script. And then that's the punishment of if you don't succeed, you're going to lose vision. Yeah, I read it as to, like, two possibilities, right? Either that, what you said, and I think you're you're right in this, right? But there was a, for a split second, I was like, if this was comic book Wanda, I can totally see her literally like morphing all of this reality into what she needs it to be but also the visual of vision's dead body just basically being used as a puppet is the most horrific thing i can kind of think of in the marvel universe right now so yeah but i, th- I think you're 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 more on the money there on terms of like it's it, it was more of a snap warning for her of like hey keep it together kind of thing let's um, use that to go into predictions yeah before we do that I'm not going to spend a long time on this. I just want to also point out like other things that we have missed or things that like could be, I don't know, be more important than we maybe gave them credit for. So we mentioned the hydro soak thing. Um, Another one that like I was, I just randomly like looked back and saw was the intro title card of episode two, the more cartoony intro. All the neighbors like are peeking over vision's shoulder, looking through the window uh, while Agnes is the only neighbor peeking through the door on Wanda's shoulder. So that's definitely got to be like intentional in some way as Agnes is special from the other neighbors and then also like has an ear with Wanda type of thing. There's there's a lot of little tidbits, and I saw that you kind of laid out um, a couple points out here, but I feel like this is... <laughs> you get more of an appreciation, and we kind of we kind of speculated this would be the case, right? Like... We always yeah. said that if we go back in a few episodes or so, we'll definitely find things to kind of call out and tie into uh, future episodes. Yeah, exactly. One other big one that I don't know if I saw this somewhere or just like saw an image of it and it made more sense. But like the butterflies that like came alive from the mobile above the crib in the pregnancy episode is kind of like a wink and a nudge at the butterfly effect from Doctor Strange. Uh, and then also from, which, I mean, butterflies surround Dr. Strange a lot because he also uses them as like a, an effect in um, Infinity War when he's fighting yep. Thanos, uh, which just then, I guess, kind of indicates this is definitely heading in the direction of the multiverse, which we already knew. But it's these little like um, moments that should just be appreciated a little bit more. Yeah, they're clearly like giving you a wink and a nudge of like, hey, we're, you know. Remember Doctor Strange? Just keep him in mind for this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Magic and butterflies. That's going to happen, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, the like, what was it like two years, I guess, at this point now with COVID? But like, they, when they announced Doctor Strange 2, they, at a Comic Con, they brought up um, Elizabeth Olsen also saying, like, oh, Wanda's also going to be a part of this movie. And so now that we're getting into WandaVision at this point, you're like, okay, so they're, they're setting up the, the base for what's about to happen with that movie. Yeah, I like that. And then the last thing, I'm not going to go into each one of these, but I think the song choice has been, it's got great double meaning. You know, on surface value, the songs have like fit the era or fit the mood. But then at a deeper, you know, uh, analysis, it the lyrics that they use, the lyrics of the rest of the song, some of them are a little bit more foreshadowing. Some of them are just like very upfront. Um, 
like the yickety yak or yakety yak, whatever from the coasters in the first episode, like the, the line that they kept referencing was don't talk back. Um, just like, again, like keeping everyone on script. I really like the help me Rhonda one because we see that in the garden party scene when, um, like agent Wu is trying to actually help, uh, Wanda, but then you get to hear it again and hear some different lines in this past episode. So I like that they're, you know, completing the song or getting different perspectives of the song, I guess. Yeah. There, there, there's a lot of good use of, of music in this, in this series, whether you're looking at the promotional material or you're looking at the songs that are used in the episode, but I, you made a whole list here of them and it's sometimes it's simple. Like I, I think of, um, and here's one that isn't on on this list, but like, if you listen to the trailers, uh, "Twilight Time" by The Platters is like right at the at the forefront of the marketing material for this uh, show, and it's all about like settling in for the night when you're living in in suburban life. So it it's kind of like a clear call out of like, kind of setting the mood and tone for for the series, and also kind of giving you hints of what's to maybe come. I liked I like that one for sure, and then. The one that they ended this episode with, Voodoo Child, I think was a perfect fit. Um, obviously, Voodoo being magic and in the right. name. But then it's got this like rebellious tone that's like Wanda's pulling some tricks that like we don't fully understand yet or haven't fully seen yet. So I think they're I think they're you know putting good attention into this and not just like on the surface value of what. Um, we were looking at before of like, oh, they're putting attention into like how everyone's dressed and like what everyone's manner of speaking is. It's so many le- like levels deeper than that. Yeah, they're really working hard on establishing like everything on here. And I feel like this is the most experimental thing we've done in the MCU. But also, I hope this is kind of a sneak peek as to how they're going to treat the Disney Plus shows. Like experiment a little bit different outside of the Marvel formula to also migrate new um audience members into it yeah i think that's going to be key let's go into production predictions um do you have anything that's like that either you had thought about before or came up during this convo that made you um, think a little bit more so we got the full setup of sword in this episode and it kind of got my wheels spinning quite a bit because um as we're zooming into the facility for zoom for zoom (laughs) i'm sorry that word is just like all over me this week um as we get into the zoom in zoom into the facility Mm -hmm. there you go yeah there you go right god i need speech help um i you see some of the like a whole bunch of little launch pads all across that base which have all these rockets to them right so like it's a clear indication that you know, sword is continually sending people off into space. Um, with the last um, uh, investors call for Disney, Kevin Feige played a particularly heavy, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, attention, I guess, to the Fantastic Four and bringing mm-hmm. that those characters in. I gotta wonder if we're going to see the seeds of that planted on this series. Like, are we going to get a call to call out for Reed Richards or? sue storm or her brother like are we 
because like it makes it that would make sense right like if, if the fantastic four were to come into play well you have this organization that's playing up in space which is where the fantastic four get their powers i wonder and my, and my prediction here is that we're going to start seeing the seeds be planted for stuff outside of this particular story because you don't introduce sword and just keep it earth-based no. you get what i mean yeah, and there was great dialogue on that in this episode, which I think writes them into a position where they could introduce the Fantastic Four. I think the exchange, and I'm going to paraphrase because I don't have it in front of me, but it was like the acting director had said, I lost half my pilots for the for the snap, and then the other half lost their nerve. And it's like, well, what did they lose their nerve from? Was it, right. That's right. Was it family and friends that got snapped that scared them? Or is it like... Uh, a space accident which i think has been associated with how the fantastic yep. four get their powers so maybe it was like a failed experiment or launch that happened that made the rest of the pilots lose their nerve i'm excited for that <laughs> now that you bring up that piece of dialogue i did not i did not put two and two together with that you're right though like they that would be like like if, if they were the last set of pilots i guess left in 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 the sword organization and something happens to them that basically ended up mutating them then yeah they, they, that would have been like and it would be such a throwaway line because the people at the top never know what's actually going on with the folks at the bottom right? <laughs> <laughs> right so um yeah damn i didn't make that connection you're right i got I'm, you man i'm excited to see those characters though like i know you and i have kind of talked about like they're played out at this point because fox has I tried always to like those movies I mean, at the moment, I like those movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, when they come out, I'm like, all right, I I get excited for them. Because I like the characters a lot, you know? Yeah. And and Doctor Doom is one of the most, like, feared characters in the Marvel Universe. And they haven't done him justice yet. No, they've ne- <laughs> they never have. They always make him, like, the stuck-up rich dude instead of, like, the the guy that becomes the dictator for the... for In his words, for the good of his country. But... Um, he he's always such a tragic character too. So I I, I hope they they bring that in and they they actually um, start laying the groundwork. But that's that's kind of one of my hot takes for the, for this. I I feel like we are going to start seeing the setup for those other characters in within the show. And I don't think it's necessarily you know. And I think every time that Marvel has set this up, like has set up the future, they don't do it in a way that messes with the current story in terms of like the quality of it. They always do it so seamlessly. So I hope to see that integrated here too. Um, and I guess the other thing I can kind of point to, like what we talked about it so often is Mephisto. Um, particularly the scene with, with Vision. That whole visual makes me think that... And, and the fact that Sam Raimi is the guy that they got to direct Doctor Strange 2. I think we're mm-hmm. about to open up the closest thing to like the horror element of, of the Marvel Universe, um, which I'm excited for. I like those, yeah. I didn't think about Fantastic Four until you talked about it, so but that line had stuck out to me, so I'd like that we're able to piece that connection together. For real. Um I think one thing that you and I I don't know if we disagree or we just haven't decided on yet, is what is the deal with vision? Um is his corpse there or is he just fully on just a projection by Mephisto or is Wanda projecting him? That's the only thing I don't know if I can put a true prediction on. I can I can guess. Um, I wouldn't put any like weight behind it, but 
I feel like he's not there in any physical uh, presence. Yeah. But the, I I was able to find the trailer uh, for next week. I know they had to, they they took it down for a little bit. Um, so if you don't watch the whole credits, I guess just fast forward and then you'll see the coming attraction for the next week. Um, unlike me, where I just close the browser as soon as <laughs> seven minutes of credits start. <laughs> uh, but there's a there's a little bit in the like, coming next week or coming in the next few weeks. Uh, Vision is questioning the reality and wants to. He get it looks like he gets to the edge of the dome and he wonders like what else is out there type of thing. Right. Um, which doesn't doesn't support my expectation of being just a projection because like how does the projection question everything and like want to escape but i don't know what it could be because he has to be dead that's the only thing uh that is certain i think well if we if we're right and mephisto is part of this whole plot that could explain that maybe vision isn't back physically right but maybe his soul is like maybe that's what we're seeing here. It's a projection, but his actual soul as well. And so maybe that's why he's he's got this like uh, ability to question his surroundings and start to almost kind of uncover what's really going on here. Um, I think tragically though, what we're probably going to see here is like if 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 you're right, then vision is just a. Or I guess I guess put it this way: regardless of whether you're right or wrong on this point. It's gonna be such a tragedy to see that dwither away yeah, and see what, what kind of right, right, and the, and then it becomes this other whole thing of like she she loses it again. I don't really know Mephisto's powers, but is it possible for him to bring someone back from the dead? Yes. So maybe then he like Vision is there without the Mind Stone. He's just back, like the part like brought him brought back the same way that they were gonna have vision alive without the stone right. maybe like that level of him is back and that is how he questions and i picture maybe like if he does get to the edge of town and he does decide to exit does he come out as like um what's the actor's name again why am i blanking on this paul bettany yeah maybe he like exits the world as paul bettany and like join sword on trying to get him out i don't know but he has all the powers of flight and speed and i don't know if that would go away as well without the stone so there's so many more questions than answers yeah or maybe he like the minute he jumps out of the out of the projection he becomes a corpse again yeah maybe that's that could be it as well and he can only survive in that world yeah, I still get that twisted visual of like his corpse is just being used as a puppet right now. Like regardless of whether he's back or not, like I, I kind of have to think his body's there. You get what I mean? Like I think that is possible if it was gonna live in the comics, but I think because it's on Disney Plus, I don't think they're they're gonna be willing to have that visual for kids of Wanda being like in a room with a dead body. <laughs> I would agree, but the fact that they just greenlit a rated R Deadpool three for the MCU that they officially confirmed takes place in the MCU makes me think that they might be willing to just go that route. Um, but that's different. That's not the same thing at all. It's still um, having I, a rated I R movie versus that has been in a rated R 
trilogy versus <laughs> like a PG show so far. Well, it's the fact that they confirmed it takes place within the MCU. That's what I mean. Like I, they have this established uh, world with these established rules of like, you're not going to show gory violence. You're not going to show yada, yada, yada. Right. But um, the second that they start breaching that, I'm like, all right. So I, th- I think they're trying to get a little bit more bolder on it. I don't know. Again, I, this is just me speculating here, but you could be totally, I could be totally wrong and you're more on point with this, but um, we I just, each had one or two things come true, what we were thinking. So someone is probably right here, but we don't know yet. <laughs> It'll be interesting to look back in the year and just kind of see where the MCU is at that point. Were. Yeah. Let's just let's continue to make as many guesses as possible. So yeah, that let's way we have something hit. We'll call, cl- play back and, and uh, play the clip in the year and be like, see, we called it. <laughs> Told you. <ya. laughs> Um, but yeah, that being said, if you guys have any fan theories out there, um, go ahead and you know let us know. Uh, you can hit us up uh, at on Twitter at bt fourth wall or on email at uh, behind the fourth wall podcast at gmail dot com. Yeah, and I guess with all that said, I'm looking forward to next week's episode. But um very uh, things are picking up i i really really like what's going on so fingers crossed it continues i concur thanks for listening thanks for listening